Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined by my man, Justin Nutter. And man, there's not a whole lot to say about the game this past Saturday, other than the fact that it was a win, but it was a win, I think, that's going to take on a great deal more significance as we get further into this season. A lot of fun ahead as we get set to break down K-State's thrilling 10-9 to victory over Iowa State in Ames. And Justin, I'll, I'll just start off right there, man. It wasn't pretty to watch, but the refrain really from Coach Kleiman throughout the last couple of weeks, he keeps talking so much about each week is a one-game season, and this was very much what that kind of encapsulated. Just you come off of a game where you ring up Texas Tech for 37 points, and Adrian Martinez and Deuce are running wild. You rack up over 300 yards, and you just have a total key change, heel turn, completely different style game the next week against Iowa State, but this team still manages to go on the road and get it done in a big way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we knew this was it was going to be a clash of two pretty stout defenses. I don't think anyone really saw it manifesting to the tune of a 10 to 9 game. Um obviously, you know, K-State left some points on the board and when you look at, you know, the yardage output, I know we'll get into the numbers here a little bit down the road, but you know, when you look at the yardage output and you consider the points we left on the board, this didn't need to be, you know, quite the quite the barn burner. And, you know, K-State didn't really need to sweat this out quite like they did. But, you know, like you said, winning ugly is still winning. Um, you know, I'll just put it this way. Uh, we are filming this on Wednesday. And I was supposed to turn 35 this Friday. But after that K-State game and the immediately following Chiefs game, I'm about 57 years old now. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, it, it obviously was stressful. You know, bye weeks are not typically something I welcome with open arms, but after sweating this one out, I don't think I mind a little bit of a breather, let alone, you know, some of these guys that got dinged up in Ames and some guys that were kind of nursing, nursing some injuries anyway. But, yeah, I mean, I think you take a win in a night game in Ames, which uh, an opponent hasn't been able to claim in five years at this point. You take that however the hell you can get it and you get the hell out of there. So, um, yeah. You know, obviously credit to a lot of guys for gutting it out and making just enough key plays to get it done. This was very much the, I've been on this five-hour flight. I'm just ready to get off the plane, get my stuff, and get the hell out of Dodge. You, you hit it perfectly there. And, and fortunately, K-State able to get it done. This was a lot of interesting uh, statistical facts coming out after this one. So the last time K-State had a score of 10 points or fewer in one. You have to go all the way back to 1993, a game. Uh, If you're a nerd like myself, and I imagine you've seen the the 1993 Kansas State highlight tape a time or two, Nutter, uh, K-State picking up a big-time home win on the old AstroTurf at Wagner Field against KU uh, that first, uh, I believe it was the first Saturday in October that season. And then you got to rewind the clock back even further for a road conference victory. You have to go all the way back to 1982, a game in which the Wildcats scored fewer than 10 points in one, and strangely enough, in Ames. So 40 years passing. Uh, so we have these weird milestone stats here. But like I said, this is this is one you absolutely take and run, and you're you're more than happy to get out of there with a win. Iowa State, there were so many things working against you in that game. When you think about just 
the nighttime atmosphere in Ames that was very much a team that had had its back against the wall. Iowa State fans still showed up in a big way. They rocked their win in the dark uniforms, and they had not lost in those in Ames. Uh, they were 7-1 and one all time with those unis, and their only loss was on a neutral field. So you have all these things that seeming like they're working against you, and then the way that the game is unfolding as well, you're, you're starting to feel like, you're wasting opportunities. And in particular, you, that, that first, that, that bomb to Malik obviously is the first thing that's going to come to everybody's mind with Anthony Johnson coming from the backside, popping the ball out right before he broke the plane of the goal line. Honestly, I was surprised in the moment. I thought we were going to get a replay a lot quicker, but it became, it was pretty evident when it did show on replay like that ball was clearly out you you always keep your fingers crossed oh maybe he just like eked it over the goal line and broke the plane and they'll call it a touchdown and those points would have been worth their weight in gold I don't think anybody wearing purple this past Saturday would have been sweating the outcome of that contest had Malik been able to punch that one in the end zone but I did listen to some post-game audio from him uh dude was Remarkably up, upbeat, not down on himself, said the teammates, as they, as you would expect them to be, highly encouraging in, in terms of getting him back up and in high spirits and able to go out there and perform. And he had himself quite a ball game, and I think that's a good opportunity to look at some of the numbers in this game for Kansas State. At a high level, Kansas State outgains Iowa State 388 to 276. Yards per play advantage, pretty decided here. K-State plus 2.2 yards per play, 6.7 per snap for the Wildcat offense, 4.5, excuse me, 4.5 for Iowa State. And, and again, keep in mind, this is still the best defense in the Big 12 by a number of statistical measures, by efficiency measures. The fact that K-State was able to pop a couple of big-time expo- explosive plays in this game was huge. And, and really did a, a lot in terms of shaping how this one ultimately ended up playing out. Offensively, I'll, I'll say this. I, I, I remember mentioning in our, our preview, this is one where you just hope you can get a couple of chunk plays in the passing game, and then you can kind of turn things over to Adrian and Deuce to do their thing. Well, you got big chunk plays, but you didn't really get much out of the running game this past Saturday. And, and was that concerning to you as we get set to move forward here because we we, this was the first time in a while it seemed like we had the full complement of the starting offensive line uh sans potier obviously but just really struggled to open up holes and deuce really wasn't a factor either you know i think probably the weirdest thing is deuce was probably most effective as a lead blocker that seemed to be about the only time that k-state could really get anything going on the ground was uh when it was designed to adrian and he had either deuce or giddens out there in front of him um I don't think I'm terribly surprised that, you know, Iowa State was able to limit K-State's running game. They are one of the best in the country at doing that. And I don't think so. You know, I mean, I don't think I was terribly shocked. Was I a little surprised that they did it as well as they did? Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, I definitely thought it would be more of a factor. That said, you know, you can definitely tell, you know, you look at that last drive when we, when K-State desperately needed a couple of first downs to put that thing out of reach and not give Iowa State, you know, one more possession in a one-point game. Adrian was able to pick up a couple on the ground. So, you know, got it done when they needed to. But was I was I surprised to see, you know, rushing yards at a premium all night? No, not at all. The other weird thing in this game is you expect just with K-State not really sustaining much on the ground, you would have expected a lot of just very much feast or famine, a lot of three and outs. You look at the drives for Kansas State, 
you obviously get the big chunk on the first possession of the game where you hit Phillip Brooks when Adrian Martinez stands in tall against pressure, Colby reader coming downhill in a hurry on a delayed blitz stands in, delivers the ball deep down the field and Brooks catches it, takes it for a K state touchdown. You get that one, but then you look at the rest of the drives, you gain 21 yards, 30 yards, 68 yards on the one that got fumbled out into the end zone, 30 yards. K-State really actually did do a, a reasonably good job of sustaining drives and, and not just getting totally overwhelmed as far as field position goes. That was honestly my biggest concern was that Iowa State would win so much on first down. And I, I, and I didn't heed my own words as far as being a fan um, this past Saturday goes, but I was very much convinced that Iowa State was going to have those negative plays where they were going to get in the backfield and blow up a first down play and drop you for a three or four yard loss and put this offense behind the chains. Iowa State did that on a couple of occasions, but K-State really didn't ever get totally flabbergasted on the offensive side of the ball and struggle to just compile and get first downs. They moved the ball at a reasonably effective clip. And, and, And truth be told, I think we all know at the end of the day, if K-State had, if Malik punches that ball into the end or reaches that ball into the end zone, or if Tenet connects on that field goal, when you get down to the ISU 15 yard line on a drive that ate up over 60 yards, again, this game is easily in hand as we turn the page in the fourth quarter and K-State fans are, are, are popping open the brown liquor a little bit early and getting ready to celebrate a big time win. So Again, did the offense leave a little bit to be desired this past Saturday? Yes, but honestly, I, I felt like this is a reasonably well-called game by Colin Klein. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny when you look at it. You know, you don't feel like K-State picked up 16 first downs because so many of those drives didn't end in points. You know, the two the two wasted point drives notwithstanding. But, I mean, yeah, it's really hard to complain. You know, they put up. 388 yards, which I believe is the most any Iowa State opponent uh, has has racked up this year. So a um, little bit left to be desired on third downs. You know, K-State was just four of 13. There were a couple that stick out in my mind. I think the play setting up the uh, the missed field goal by Tenet or maybe the made field goal. I don't know. They all kind of run together. There was a uh, uh, there was a second and short where we couldn't pick up two or three yards on a couple of different tries that, you know, kind of forced us into a field goal situation there. So you know, obviously there, there's definitely still room for improvement, but I thought overall the, that, you know, the passing game was pretty solid. You know, a lot of those plays, you know, you mentioned Malik kind of bouncing back from the fumble. He had a couple of pretty key catches, you know, even in the second half to keep a couple of drives alive. And, you know, I, a lot of those plays receivers were running pretty open and Adrian was finding them. So, you know, that's pretty, pretty heads up, uh, pretty heads up play calling by Colin Klein. Um, yeah, did, I mean, did just enough to get it done against probably the best defense you're going to see all year. 12.8 per pass attempt for the Wildcats. We do also have to, and uh, we can't just say Adrian because of that nice little uh, trick play throwback to 9 a.m. who caught that pass, uh, nice ball there from Malik. So again, Good to see Colin also going back and trusting in a very critical spot in the game as well. Hey, I'm going to trust Malik Knowles to come in here, take a reverse and throw a pass uh, again. Just you love the fact that he goes back and instills the confidence in a guy who could have been pretty shook after that. When it, when the game is playing out the way that it has and, and you're, you're struggling to get into scoring territory and finish off drives, to, to go and make that play call at such a pivotal juncture of the game, I think showed a lot of 
faith by Colin and Malik to go out and execute. So you'd love to see that. You'd love to see Malik pick up, uh, pick up the slack when the ball came back his way. Now, the other issue you brought up is red zone. K-State uh, was previously in its first two conference games, a combined 13 for 13. This is the first time the Wildcats have failed to score in uh, one of their red zone attempts in conference play. They go just one for two, and that that one was only a field goal. Uh, the play you're referring to a little bit earlier on the third down and short when they rolled Adrian out to the wide side of the field on a little waggle kind of to see if he could get the edge and Iowa state safety. I can't remember if it was Johnson or uh, Tampa who read it really well and came in down and run support and ushered him out of bounds to force the field goal that looked like it might've made it by some people's accounts looked like it might've missed. I don't know. It's the, the, you never, and I don't believe we got a replay of that to, to tell definitively one way or the other. I thought when he kicked it and looking at it, I thought it was true, but I'm obviously not sitting below the uprights, but Neither here nor there. Tenet ultimately just goes one for two in this one. We'll talk about specials here momentarily, but I think we got to give credit to this Kansas State defense for doing what it did. We knew going into this game that Deckers was not going to be the one to single-handedly beat you. It was it was if you were concerned with anybody taking over the game, it was Xavier Hutchinson. And to that point, you have to give major props to the K-State secondary. Hutchinson was targeted 17 times and only came up with eight catches and had a, uh, obviously the, the the biggest play of the game was that drop on the boundary where Deckers eluded pressure, found him on the far uh, or on the near sideline, rather K-State's Josh Hayes, just maybe a step behind from getting a deflection. He was in reasonably good position, but that should have been a pretty easy first down pickup there and would have in all likelihood set up Gilbert for a high, high pressure kick, but fortunately bounces off the hands when Hutchinson tries to corral it all in all though, I, I, I love the way that the secondary flew around yet again. And it's, it's also been pretty cool to see. We haven't just been focusing on one guy. It seems like each and every week we're having a big time standout performance, whether it's, Brents or Echo or Savage and in this past week it's Hayes obviously being named the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week you got to love what the back end's been doing these guys are playing hard and fast you know and I remember saying it um you know when we were filming last week that obviously a team that you know puts a lot of the eggs in the basket of one standout receiver I'm not going to be terribly concerned about that because we've got the corners to handle that and I know you know safety was a little bit of a concern coming into the season but knowing how Kleiman had done in the portal with veteran guys in the defensive backfield already, you know, guys like Russ East or Reggie Stubblefield, um, you know, I, I was not terribly concerned about how they were going to shake out. I didn't necessarily think they would be this good this fast, but yeah, you know, Josh Hayes was everywhere. I mean, that guy was in the backfield. He was breaking up pass plays, you name it. That dude was everywhere. He deserves every bit of that uh, defensive player of the week honor. And yeah, you know, Brents and Boydo both had their work cut out for him, you know, trying to trying to tar- or trying to uh, limit Hutchinson. You know, I think he, he I think you said, you know, he could go off for 100 yards. K-State could handle that. And I think he had 100 on the nose, um, but he was targeted more than twice as many times as he actually hauled it in. Obviously, that last one being, like you said, the biggest play of the game. But no, I mean, it's absolutely thrilled with how the secondary played, you know, overall. One injury note to mention here in the linebacker room, and this one could be big as we get set to move forward here. Uh, There were a couple of players that got dinged here and there and and 
Kleiman has mentioned here during his weekly presser that he doesn't expect anybody to miss extended time. All guys should be available for the Cats' upcoming game against TCU uh, this Saturday after next. But Khalid Duke is one who could potentially be out for extended time. How do you see that potentially impacting this linebacker room as we move forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Green and Moore have both been, you know, pretty fantastic. Moore especially, I think, has maybe caught a little people off guard this season. You know, I know, unfortunately, they really feel, especially in the Tech game, like they had kind of unlocked something. You know, I know lining Duke and and Felix up on one side of the field to just, you know, create all kinds of havoc for that side of the offensive line. So, you know, it's unfortunate if you lose that, you know, that that new wrinkle that you had kind of implemented into the defense. Hopefully it's nothing serious. You know, we can get him back, you know, in a game or two. But, uh, you know, I, I think enough guys have stepped up. And like you said, enough other guys, you know, you know, on the back end of that defense have stepped up that I don't know that he's going to be a, a detrimental loss. But that I mean, that's a pretty damn good player that you don't want you don't want it out anymore, you know, any longer than he has to be. Coming off of a week in which he was he was named co-Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week for his three-sack performance the week prior against Texas Tech, you really thought he was getting set to turn a corner, and uh, people were talking about how hyped he was when he found out how he was going to be so integral in that game plan against Tech, and he he wrecked shop along with Felix, and, and Khalid Duke is easily the highest-graded linebacker so far uh, this season for Kansas State, checking in with a uh, 74.3 overall. He's been really solid and just overall tackling in that respect pass rush. He's been great as well. Uh, so we're probably going to see a little bit more or I, I, not a little bit more, but I would suspect Nick Allen is likely going to be the one who gets a lion's share of those snaps. I know Gavin Forche is a guy that the staff is trying to bring along crew Jackson, another one haven't seen him as much though. So it'll be interesting to see who starts to come in and spell who here. Uh, Des Purnell is another guy. We've been seeing a lot more of him uh, so far. So uh, again, we're going to really call upon some of these younger guys to contribute in, in, in really what's going to be the meat of this Big 12 slate for the Wildcats with these games upcoming against TCU, Oklahoma State, and Texas. So we'll save that. We'll table that problem for next week when the Wildcats get set to square off against TCU. One last thing we'll mention here uh, before we formally close the book on the Iowa State game. Special teams in this one. A little dicey, obviously, that we talked about the kick from Tenet, but in the same breath, I think we're still we're seeing a kid who's developing and making progress mentally and still working through some of the mechanical things. But at the end of the day, I come away from this one just all smiles when I think about we just had this kid go in to Ames and make a field goal to switch the outcome. It was the game-winning score with less than eight minutes to go on the road. That's that's something I think that will really bolster his confidence as we get set to move forward. And, and Nutter, I don't know how you're feeling about him to, to date, but I, I think, honestly, just going through some initial growing pains here, but I think he's turning into a reasonably reliable kicker. No, you know, it, he is. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think that's what maybe – Eight nine of his last nine, I think. Um, he, you know, you think about what happened to, uh, you know, to Iowa State the week before in Lawrence, you know, like in a game where literally every point mattered, you know, Tennant had, had the final three in a one-point game. So, you know, you hope he can build on that. And, you know, it's you're, you're going to play. And there are fewer hostile environments that he'll, 
excuse me, there are a few more hostile environments that he'll play in this season and, you know, was able to get it done when it mattered most. So yeah, you hope he can build on that. You know, something that it's probably worth keeping an eye on. I don't, they haven't had to really count on him for many, for many distance this year. It feels like just about everything he's hit's been inside of about 35. So, you know, we know he's got the leg. He hit a 50 plus yarder last year in Austin. You know, if he can pull it all together, I think he still has a chance to be a very good kicker and have a pretty long career at K-State. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think you kind of just have to take away that, you know, he hit the game winner and just, you know, kind of focus on that. You mentioned Jace Reuter, and this is the time as a Kansas State fan, I can't do anything other than just throw my hands up and say college kickers. He had an utterly forgettable outing the week before in Lawrence, missed three field goals, including what would have been a game tying attempt in the final seconds. Kid comes back home, feels more comfortable, cashes all three of his tries, including two from beyond 40. Shout out to Jace Reuter, man, for delivering in clutch spots. But in the same breath, I think Iowa State fans, or at least reasonable ones, are probably counting their lucky stars and weren't necessarily banking on points each time he trotted out onto the field. So I think that, again, kind of underscores what we knew about this game in terms of Matt Campbell's overall approach and philosophy. He plays these games tight. I look back at the the numbers for the last five seasons and Iowa State in games in which they fall anywhere between a four-point favorite and a four-point dog. Matt Campbell's guys are 2-12 and 12, straight up in those games. He wanted to lean on his defense, and he felt that was the best unit on the field. And I don't, I don't think Campbell was wrong in that assessment there, but that Iowa State offense sputtered. And, and I, I will say also, I, I got to give credit to the K-State defense as well in those final couple of possessions in which Iowa State started its second to last drive on the KSU 49, getting the big return on the kickoff. And then the final possession of the game, they start on the ISU 48. And K-State doesn't allow Iowa State to even get to the 40 on either one of those drives. Klanderman's group did it all this past Saturday secondary rallied to the ball. This was going to be a game in which they were really called upon to tackle well in space. We saw that obviously from Josh Hayes, echo Boydo making plays in space, just a great effort overall from the secondary van Malone's guys were really keyed in this past Saturday. And I think at a higher level, I, I come away feeling even more encouraged by the fact that this team has now demonstrated it can win any type of game, if you will, being in that shootout in the first week of conference play against Oklahoma, you really had to lean on your offense to come back and deliver when Oklahoma kept responding after a K-State score. K-State's defense was was lackluster in that game against the Sooners, and they kept saying, okay, guys, we need the offense to deliver here. We need to make a couple of first downs. We need to keep this clock running. We need to get in the end zone. We need to respond. And the offense delivered in those games. The week after against Texas Tech, again, shootout adjacent, I'll, I'll say, but a game in which you're a pretty decided favorite going into that matchup. And yeah, you get caught in the in the slog in the second half or in the late stages of the second quarter on in the third, but ultimately you find a way to generate some big plays on offense. Your defense delivers a couple of key stops. You pull away and win a game by two scores. And then this past Saturday, Campbell drags you down into the muck makes this thing just an absolute shit fight and you guys find a way to get it done. It's the defense that rises up in the key spots. Got to also mention Martinez, 
the big runs going around the left end, getting that essentially game ceiling first down. You love to see the emotion out of him. You loved the emotion as well out of Chris Kleiman. I think he understood the significance of this game. And I think this is a game that's going to take on more meaning the further along we get into the season. If this does in fact being a, end up being a special type of season that we're all hoping and wanting it to be. Kleiman's been in this spot before for Kansas State where he wins the game that you don't expect to win. You think about his first year, Cats go on the road as a seven-point dog at Mississippi State, and they pull off an upset there, win by a touchdown. And then you're thinking, man, we, we're 3-0. and We got a bye. We're going to face Oklahoma State next week. Let's let's go do this thing. Let's show that we're a Big 12 title contender. And then Mike Gundy smacks you around. Same thing later on in that same season, you upset Oklahoma unprecedented nobody expects you to do it first time you had a home win over Oklahoma since 1996 it had been a long ass time and then you go on the road a couple weeks later you get up 17 to 7 against Texas but you end up losing by a field goal at the gun even last year K-State starts 3-0 and again you're thinking man this this team we just got to bide some time and get Skylar back but then they go on the road and of course of course it's Mike Gundy who smacks you around that I think that's the key here just avoid Mike Gundy like the plague uh, when you start up conference play but Kleiman showed me something that he understood like I said this was a pivotal game this is a potential season changing season defining type of victory to go on the road and win in what I will say is likely the most hostile environment K-State will see the rest of the way. Not to impugn the atmospheres at TCU or Baylor or West Virginia, but I think everybody understands winning in names is tough. The last two years in Big 12 play, Iowa State was a perfect 9-0 in conference games at home. It's tough to win there. And Kleiman said as much in his post game. He said as much during his press conference he knew this one was going to mean a little bit extra. And that's why I, I was grinning ear to ear when I saw him give Gene that big bear hug after the game. This was big. This was big for this team as we get set to move forward here and come down the home stretch of the season. A couple of other things I'll mention here as we get set to move into the Q&A. K-State moved up in the polls, 16th in the coaches, 17th in the AP following the victory. Adrian Martinez named to the Maxwell Award watch list after his performance this past Saturday. And again, you love nothing more than to see him really rectify his career in a certain manner of speaking, just what he's given this Kansas State team. And and you love the maturity and everything he gives this team, both on the field and off the field. I, I can't say enough about what 9 a.m. has meant to this squad. And I, I again... To be able to dig Nebraska fans is a little bit of an added bonus here, but just on a personal level, knowing that like the treatment that he was subject to in Lincoln over the last few years, you love the fact that he's thriving the way that he has and certainly hope that he can keep it up on that front. And I have no doubt Colin Klein will be calling plenty of QB runs for him and he'll have plenty of opportunities to deliver in the uh, in the rushing game moving forward. And then the final thing I'll mention, uh, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but Iowa State losing for the first time in those uh, win-in-the-dark uniforms uh, when they're at least at home. There you go, Cat fans. Alternate uniforms, you deviate from the norm, everything's cursed. (laughs) Never mind the fact that Iowa State had previously won seven games in those all-black unis, but neither here nor there. 
You can't go away from the traditional colors. Am I right, Cat fans? All right. With all that said, let's go ahead and jump into the Q&A here. We had a handful of questions come in from our listeners. Thanks again for dropping those on the College and Kimball Twitter account. And again, follow us if you haven't already, college underscore Kimball. We'll start off with Tristan Winkle. That's Winkle4010 on Twitter. And he wants to know if College Game Day would consider coming to Manhattan if the Wildcats are able to take care of TCU next Saturday. And he was specific. He specifically mentioned Oklahoma State. I don't know if it's that game. I, I think the better case, I guess, for Kansas State would be Texas continuing its ascension now that Quinn Ewers is back in the lineup for the Longhorns. If UT continues to reel off some victories here, I, I think that K-State-Texas game first week in November – That'd be a pretty picturesque setting in Manhattan, Kansas. And I think that ESPN would bite at the chance to cover that type of a game when it looks like the Longhorn resurgence might actually be beginning in earnest. But the tough thing about that one is you're going up against Tennessee, Georgia that same weekend, and that's looking like it could possibly be a matchup of top five teams if Tennessee's able to upset Alabama this coming Saturday. So that that's going to be a tough ask. It's going to be a tough ask either way. I don't, I don't think Oklahoma state is the more likely scenario. It's a possibility if K state uh, beats TCU and Oklahoma state is still undefeated. But I, again, I feel like game day would be more inclined to show a little bit of love towards the Texas name and brand here. So I think, the other thing you can't really discount either, if if Kansas is able to rally behind Bean or whoever the hell their quarterback is, if if the Jayhawks are in a position at the end of the season to be in contention for a Big 12 championship berth and Kansas State is in that same spot, the Sunflower Showdown, man, that that game's going to have more juice than it's had in quite a while, either regardless of what happens. But uh, I think that ESPN might consider that one as well because you, you can you, you've done Ohio State, Michigan and Auburn, Alabama till you're blue in the face here. That would be a nice pivot away from those traditional rivalries and, and, and to be able to showcase the Big 12 and, and the Sunflower showdown on a national stage for the final week of the regular season. I think that would be pretty cool. So I think there is a possibility out there, uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, just keep winning, man. I don't care too much about game day, but if you want that setting, you want that attention, all you got to do is keep winning and the possibility will be there. And I think K-State does have a, a chance. Again, my money would be on the Texas game as the more likely one, but Nutter, what say you? Do the Wildcats have a shot to host game day uh, for the Oklahoma State game? So, you know, I'm just looking at other matchups that potential weekend of, you know, Oklahoma State's trip to Manhattan. Obviously, it's all contingent on TCU winning this weekend, right? If, if either team loses between then and now, I think you can pretty well, you know, put that idea to bed. But, um, you know, you're looking at a potential, you know, a potential top 10 matchup in Manhattan when Oklahoma State comes to town. Uh, the only other matchup that jumps off the page at me that day is Ohio State is at Happy Valley. Uh, for a meeting with Penn State. That's you know, game, day, game day loves those Big Ten venues, so it's hard to say. You know, I got – in terms of ranked matchups, you got Kentucky going to Tennessee, but I believe game day has already been in Knoxville this year. I don't I don't believe they do repeat trips in the same year. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely on the table. I think I'm with you, Jeff. You know, the Texas game makes more sense if K-State's coming in on a winning streak. But, 
you know, if, if both teams win, if, if neither TCU or K-State, excuse me, if neither Oklahoma State or K-State loses um, between then and now, I definitely think it's on the table. Would love to see the game day crew come back to Manhattan. It's been far, far too long that we've had to wait for those guys to come to MHK. And I know there's I, I follow up to that. Where do you think they would do the show? I, I think it has to be on the the hill leading up to Anderson Hall. I don't that know. That tends else. to be the yeah, that tends to be the popular choice. Um I nowhere else jumps out at me unless you do it there at the stadium itself. And mm-hmm. that meant frankly, that's kind of boring. So um no, I think, you know, Anderson Hall backdrop makes a ton of sense. They'll, they will cram as many people into every nook and cranny there as possible. So, um, yeah, I just hope we get the opportunity. Do when When is the last time we hosted game day? I'm thinking maybe 2000 or so. Uh, I know game day was in Austin when we played Texas in 03. I believe the last time we had it at home, I want to say it was the 2000 Oklahoma game. That's what I'm thinking as well. And if I remember right, they set up right there at the corner of the stadium, um, you know, with with the field behind them, obviously. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely think, you know, Anderson Hall gives you that more picturesque look you're kind of looking for. And I know a lot of K-State fans kind of have a bad taste in their mouth after watching game day go to Lawrence this past weekend. So would love to get uh, would love to get the opportunity to to get them back to Manhattan here. Ace Edwards of the Aggieville Alley Cats. Thanks again, my man. You dropped us quite a few here, and we got plenty to talk about. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, how would you rate Klein's performance as offensive coordinator thus far? Um, You know, after the two-lane game, that'd be a pretty tough sell. But, I mean, <laughs> I think he has, he has adjusted pretty damn well. And like I said, 10 points notwithstanding at Ames, it uh, – you know, I'd probably rate him about a seven. There's definitely, like I said, room for improvement. And there have definitely been a few play calls here or there where I'm like, what the hell was that? But, you know, I also say that in an Andy Reid offense with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a hard guy to please when it comes to that. But, yeah, you know, I would probably give him about a solid seven. You know, I think overall he's done just fine. You know, we've definitely seen some wrinkles. And, you know, the, the fact that, you know, I can think of two or three trick plays already this year, and I don't know that Kleiman ran one his entire first three years in Manhattan, you know, I think Klein is definitely willing to try some stuff. He himself has said that, you know, some other coaches have maybe had to rein him in a little bit on, you know, getting a little bit too innovative, a little bit too early, but uh, no, overall, I think he's adjusted and he's shown that he's willing to learn from his mistakes. So yeah, seven feels about right for me. I can't say that I've disliked what I've seen from this offense in terms of executing in the quarterback run game here in recent weeks. I've always been very vocal about not wanting to treat the quarterback position like it's a battering ram and seeing guys go out there carrying the ball 20 to 25 times per game. But in the same breath, Adrian is a mature guy. He's a heady player, and he's also demonstrated that on the field. He slid down in key spots. I I can't help but always think back to that run, that big third down conversion run late in the game against Oklahoma where he slid down inbounds, avoided a shot, didn't try to Superman it into the end zone or anything. And he's done that a couple of other times. But I think he knows just by virtue of being a senior and having played so many games now in his career, he knows when to get down, how to avoid the bigger shots and, and how to protect his body. And 
if he and Colin have an accord and they feel comfortable going and calling however many design quarterback run plays or zone read plays, whatever those cases are that give him the chance to, to do damage with the ball in his hands, keep on keeping on. It's been working. It's really what's allowed this offense to take another step and go from second to third gear and really has been candidly what's elevated this team and propelled them to these last couple of wins. Overall, though, beyond the running game, you still have to have some pretty noticeable concerns. You think about this team, points per drive, only manufacturing 2.16. That's 77th nationally. They have a success rate of just 42.6%, 71st nationally there. They're last in the nation in pass explosiveness and that's including the numbers from last week's game in which you hit two plays of 60 plus yards in the passing game. There's just that lack of consistency. And also that leads into the third down stat. They're 117th nationally and converting a little bit less than 32% of their third down tries. There's just that element of consistency that you would like to see a little bit more of. And we saw some of that against Iowa State. We talked about it, sustaining drives, moving, not just going three plays, two yards punt, three plays, negative five yards punt. We, we saw this group string together drives, and, and, and maybe they were just four plays going 27 yards or five plays and going 30 yards or whatever the case is. We saw some consistency from this team against a, 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 a solid defense and arguably the best defense K-State has faced to date in Iowa State's. You just want to see that continue and doing it against that three gap stack defense is, is pretty impressive in my mind. So hopefully we see that trend continue in terms of this offense stringing together a couple more first downs per game, not putting themselves behind the eight ball and behind the chains and and really forcing Adrian in the passing game to have to deliver in key spots. If I had to grade Klein, I have to go like fractional here, probably give him like a 6.2 somewhere in that department. I, I just think that drawing up, hitting explosives in the run game is nice and, and getting a couple of big pass plays here and there is nice, but there's not real, that's not something you can consistently rely on if you're a Kansas State fan. So you want to see this offense take a step forward. We've seen them win different types of games, but now you want to see this offense really show that it's capable of, of moving the ball with some consistency. Next question from Ace, which Big 12 team has impressed you most thus far? I mean, I think the obvious, the obvious answer is KU, you know, the, the fact that they are five and one and really did not in my mind, take a step back against TCU, even having lost Jalen Daniels, obviously there are some question marks regarding the severity of that injury. Um, <laughs> a freelance reporter for the journal world reported he was out for the year. Daniels himself tweeted out and said, I was not aware of that. So um you know, it remains to be seen how much time he might lose, but I think that is absolutely a bull team. And fact of the matter is, even when he went out, Jason Bean, who was, you know, maybe not not the most inspiring over the last couple of seasons, came out and pretty well lit up the scoreboard in the second half against TCU, had them in it right down to the very end of the game. So, I mean, I don't think that's any question. You know, Oklahoma State has definitely lived up to the hype, I think. Um, you know, I know they got pushed a little bit against Tech, but I think Tech's going to push a lot of people this year. Um I think the un the unquestionable answer is KU for sure. I don't think anybody can reason to the like. That's certainly the biggest surprise. And I think honestly, they the performance they had against TCU was 
probably the most validating effort they've had thus far this season as Iowa State looks to be, you know, that win over Iowa State looks to lose a little bit more luster week by week because, frankly, that Iowa State team will be fortunate to get to a bowl game in my estimation. And you ha- they faced a, a pretty weak non-con schedule and, and the West Virginia game again. I, I think KU's two conference wins are still likely coming against the two teams that are going to finish somewhere between eight and ten in the uh, the final Big Twelve standings. But the the honestly, I'll say the element of living up to I guess reloading uh, Oklahoma State man Mike Gundy got to give them some credit just doing their thing, lurking in there, you know, sitting here just outside the top 10 or rather in the top 10 right now. I, I got to give him credit for, for bouncing, for getting that team to respond when they lost so much personnel. Now we still have a lot of questions outstanding about Oklahoma state as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare against TCU this coming Saturday, but Oklahoma state is probably the team. I, I think not enough people are talking about And I think if they go on the road and get this win against TCU, all of a sudden we're going to be, they're probably going to be one of the top odds on favorites to, to get to the big 12 championship game. So I'll say KU has been the biggest, the, the impressive surprise, but I think Oklahoma state needs to get a little bit of credit here uh, for what they've done. So that's, that's my pick Uh, position group that worries you most uh, for K state. Um. Do you want to take this one first or do you want me to jump on? No, it? <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Um, you know, just based on injuries and the fact that they maybe have been a little shakier than we thought they would be. I definitely thought offensive line was going to be a major strength of this team coming into the year. And there have been a couple of games where it's taken them, you know, maybe a quarter or so to get their feet under them. But I mean, I'm a little concerned about uh, the health of that unit overall. Um, you know, I know we, Losing Portier early on, obviously that's a huge bomber, not just for the team, but for him individually, having missed the entire last season and to really only get to play, you know, part of one game before, you know, being shelved for an entire second year. You know, that's a pretty huge blow. You know, there's there's definitely some some developmental pieces and some guys that I know they're excited for the, for the future, but maybe aren't quite ready to help yet. But then you think about guys who maybe were ready to jump in and, you know, see some significant snaps, guys like Andrew Langang who haven't been able to get on the field because of injuries. So, you know, I think, unfortunately, we are one more injury away from being in big trouble on the offensive line. So it's, you know, definitely worth keeping an eye on. I think when the when the five guys that are out there are healthy, you know, I think it's as good as any offensive line in the conference, but the, the depth definitely worries me. Yeah, and – Again, I feel like Collins done a reasonably good job kind of scheming around that that personnel shortcoming I feel like we have at wide receiver. Yes, I would love to see more guys emerge in that room, but I think the core that you have with Brooks, Malik, and Cade is serviceable enough for what this offense is. The offensive line is probably the most concerning next to the, – the only other candidate, at least at this point, is linebacker, not just because you're thin at that group, but you you can't really afford to lose Khalid Duke for too much time here. Uh, and, and not to, again, condemn Nick Allen uh, or Desmond Purnell. And I know Desmond Purnell has been playing reasonably well, and that's why he's seeing as many snaps as he has been here in recent weeks. He's getting uh, a lot more uh, duty uh, here in spelling guys and whatnot. But um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just play devil's advocate and say linebacker just because – I think that the drop-off 
once you get past the front line is pretty significant. And, and also you just have that, that element of inexperience you've had. Daniel Green has been a stalwart and, and he's racked up 305 snaps so far this season. Khalid Duke had 251. And then you've got Austin Moore, who's doesn't miss, <laughs> doesn't miss anything during the damn game. I, I know the coaches feel comfortable enough uh, with Nick Allen and Desmond Purnell, but beyond that, you don't really, you, you can't go too deep by any stretch of the imagination. And now you're calling on one of your pieces to come in and start taking on starting snaps while Duke is out for whatever amount of time it ends up being. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and say linebacker just because of the inexperience behind the frontline guys, knowing that for crew Jackson and others are just probably not quite ready to, to get on the field and really uh, contribute for this team. Uh, last question that we got from Ace Edwards, if Adrian keeps up his current play, do we see him to get the nod at all big 12 at quarterback? I, I don't think that happens just because I think if Quinn Ewers continues to play, and I know he just obviously blitzed Oklahoma, that's not anything unique though to this point with that defense, but um, I think Quinn Ewers is probably going to be the, the sexier pick and, and he's going to put up more, again, traditional quarterback numbers, if you will. It's hard to think though that if Adrian Martinez does have a couple of big games where he might get to 800, 900 yards rushing and have 15 some odd touchdowns or whatever, and maybe account for another 1,500 or some odd yards through the air. I, I mean, I, I would imagine he would get some kind of all conference distinction, but I, I think the nod at quarterback is likely going to go to somebody like Quinn Ewers or Spencer Sanders uh, continues to play at a high level. Um, I just think that those guys are probably just going to get be the, the sexier pick for the media. And frankly, can't, you can't forget Max Duggan either. He's had a hell of a year so far. Yes, his, yes. his career was really kind of brought back to life by Sonny Dykes so far this season. So, you know, I think the big thing is a lot of these quarterbacks have yet to play each other. You know, a lot of it depends, too, on, like, how much will, you know, voters take wins and losses into account. Um, because, yeah, if you look at, like, Adrian's production, we're winning games and he's making enough plays, but he's not exactly lighting up the stat sheet like some of these guys have been. You know, he's probably not going to have the passing numbers to compete with, like, a Ewers or like a Duggan or a Sanders. So, you know, I, I think it, I'm with you. It's probably going to take winning games and then putting up a little more numbers to really, really work his way into consideration. Yeah, we could be looking at a line similar to what uh, L. Roberson put up in 2002. And that, and that, hey, man, I would take that and run with it because that means this team is likely going to finish at worst uh, nine and three, in my opinion. We'll talk about that here momentarily. Nutter, I, you know, you said we got one more that came in here late. Uh, yeah, we got one from Mike Franchette. It's actually my brother-in-law. Um, so he uh, he came in and said, is this the uh, most talented roster climate has had in Manhattan? Jeff, I'll let you take that one to start. I think you have to say yes. Um, and credit to the transfer portal too. Like I, I know a lot of K-State fans tend to appreciate the way that things were in terms of how you constructed a roster where you would really dig in on high school recruiting and, and get guys in and develop and whatnot. But it's definitely a new age and, and being, and think about the guys that they've hit on, man, Josh Hayes, he's, playing at a first team all conference level, Kobe Savage and Drake Cheatham. I mean, those, those dudes, I, 
I, I can't go and say that every member of the K-State secondary is going to be first team all big 12, but you're, you're certainly going to be able to put at least two guys on the all big 12 squad between Brent's echo and everybody else that's, that's in that back end for the K-State secondary. And then, you know, if you had a healthy Khalid Duke, uh, King Felix, and all the depth they have on the defensive line, that this defense is easily the most talented one we've seen in Kleiman's time here in Manhattan. No question about that. And, and then again, you talk about the offensive side of things. Uh, you, you've certainly got a, a draft pick in, in, in Cooper Beebe. I don't know if, if somebody maybe takes a flyer on Adrian Martinez because of his speed and, and thinks about using him at a different position in the NFL. I, I think that might be a stretch, but who knows? And Malik Knowles and, and Philip Brooks and Deuce, uh, again, uh, easily just, I, I think, again, by virtue of developing the guys that you did recruit two and three cycles ago and, and again, doing some big-time harvesting in the transfer portal – yeah, no question about it. This is easily the most talented group that we've that Clemens had in his uh, now fourth year in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not much more I can add to that, really. You know, I think about that first team he inherited. Obviously, he really kind of had to piecemeal together a running back situation. I believe Harry Trotter was the only scholarship running back he inherited. No disrespect to Harry Trotter. That's a pretty dire situation to inherit. <laughs> but, you know, I know he had a pretty veteran offensive line. I think he had five senior starters across the front five there. But, I mean, you could probably make a case that when this offensive line is healthy, it's it's probably the best that Clement's had. Connor Riley has really done a hell of a job putting that, you know, getting things in place there. And I know he's got he's set this unit up for a lot of success moving forward. Um, yeah, you know, Adrian kind of a journeyman. You know, I don't know that we've really seen a, hu a huge step back from, you know, a guy that we kind of trusted with the offense for several years and Skylar Thompson getting his first NFL start this year, but uh, this year, by the way. Um, Here we go. Yeah, um, you know, so I don't know that we've seen a massive drop off there. Uh, receivers, it feels like we've seen the same, you know, nucleus of guys, you know, it feels like Brooks and Knowles have both been here for about six years <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, I do, I think you've got a better version of them than the one that that, uh, that Climate inherited. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really any, I don't really think there's any debate that this is the most talented team Climate has put together. Yeah, I mean, the only position where you might feel like you're lacking a little bit because, you think about a guy like Briley Moore, you've had some, some maybe some better tight ends that, and, and let's not forget Nick Linners. Um, <laughs> oh God, how can we? Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, offensive line, maybe a little bit weaker than some of the other groups, but again, you've got an NFL draft pick in there and you might have a couple more waiting in the wings. We, yeah. we have people very high on line gang and others. So um, I, this is, this is a great team and one that still, I, I think is very much trending in the right direction. And we'll, we'll have a chance to be in, in the fight for a big 12 championship or a birth in a big 12 championship game. I should say, as we get set to wrap this one up and look ahead here, uh, as we mentioned a, a little bit earlier, K-State will be going on the road to take on TCU. That is going to be a night kick on not uh, this coming Saturday, the 15th, but the 22nd. And uh, just briefly looking at the slate of games, you'd be potentially contending with Mississippi State going on the road to take on Bama. That's the six o'clock night slot on ESPN. Minnesota at Penn State is the ABC game. I don't really know if that's going to be a huge, sexy draw right there. Uh, I think that what Fox is likely deciding between is between UCLA and Oregon. That's six and zero oh at five and one there and this game here. So that'll be very interesting to see what happens. I think if TCU wins, I, I still don't know if that's enough to kind of 
push you over the top with the, the brand name that you get with both UCLA and Oregon. I think those are two teams that are likely going to have a couple more eyeballs on it. Not to say it would be a better game than K-State and TCU, but I think everybody knows that that might have a little bit more sway there. So the other element I'll mention about that game, Oklahoma State and TCU squaring off this coming Saturday. TCU just coming off of a hard-fought win where they and really a, a, a game in Lawrence where if they don't get a fumble on the one-foot line, that's maybe a game that swings the other way, and we're talking about KU being 6-0 and of all things. But I believe KU uh, missed a field goal in that one, too. I believe there were 10 uh, points they had left a, on the board. Yeah, And they had a very close uh, completion on the sideline that got overruled on a drive that they had to, that they ultimately didn't end up getting points on. Like, KU, KU had some shots in that game, and, and, and they might – might have by some people's terms been the better team, but at the end of the day, TCU is the one that walks out of there with the win. But I still think this is a TCU team that had to really fight in that game. You're going to get beat up this Saturday against Oklahoma state. And then you got your, you know, K state being the third game in that sequence, even though you're getting it home, that's going to be, that's going to take a toll on your dudes at some point. So I think K state's really getting this by at, at a, about as good a time as you could have possibly asked for. Um, and I'm feeling good, honestly, about the Wildcats heading into this matchup, especially hearing the news that we don't expect anybody to miss extended time. So another, the other thing too, K state's going to be just one of two teams with zero conference losses heading into week eight of the season. I don't think that can be understated here. I think the Wildcats are in a great position and, I, I don't know if you have a lean here, if anybody has really shown you that they're going to be the force to be reckoned with. But I think, again, to everybody's point that we always keep hearing, this conference is so wide open. And Nutter, I, I don't know about you, but I think if K-State wins this game, they're in a position where they might only really need to win two more coming down the stretch, depending on it needs to be the right two, I would have to say. But I think you're in a position where you really only need to get two more and you're probably feeling feeling reasonably good about your shot at getting to Arlington. Yeah, I was talking to a buddy about it a couple of weeks ago. It was after K-State had beat Oklahoma that this definitely seems like a year where you're going to have a three conference loss team headed to Arlington. You know, I don't know that the Big 12 really has any, uh, you know, true playoff contenders this year, but they got a bunch of teams that are going to be beating up on each other, which makes getting out of Ames with that win all that more important, right? You know, I, I definitely think you're you're almost affording yourself a loss. Like you said, you hate to look at it that way, but in the conference championship setup that we have, you are, you're almost affording yourself a loss if you can get into Fort Worth and get that win. And you're, you know, setting yourself up for a home loaded back into your schedule at that point. So, yeah, no, I think it, it's, it's definitely pretty key. I know we'll get into it in a little more detail next week, but uh, yeah, you know, starting 4-0 would be, I mean, absolutely colossal with as wide open as this conference looks. And it doesn't punch your ticket to Arlington, but you are sitting in a very favorable spot down the stretch. Go enjoy this Saturday, Cat fans. A lot of great football on tap. Got, got Actually, going to have a Big 12 game on Thursday night. Baylor going on the road to take on West Virginia. Tricky, tricky there if I'm Baylor. That's one that they could may come up on the short end on bears only favored by three and a half there. And you got KU catching, not getting nine points at Oklahoma, Iowa state going on the road to take on Texas, Oklahoma state at TCU, as we mentioned, some great games in the big 12, Tennessee and Alabama, just a loaded slate uh, for your week seven. So cat fans go enjoy this weekend off, get ready to bring it. 
the next Saturday. We'll be back next week, of course, with a preview of the TCU game. So be on the lookout for that in your College and Kimball podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It is college underscore Kimball. Thank you guys again for the download and the stream on whatever your preferred app is. I'll go ahead and wrap it up the way I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. Oh,